from the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine absolute love and peace, there wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome to Round Trip Death, everybody. And we're happy to have on the show with us today, Daniela Gordon. Daniela, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. It is such a pleasure. We have talked a couple of times already and got to know each other a little bit. And and people are going to really like you today. They're going to like your honesty and your experience and, and everything else. So, um, And you're in Baltimore, Maryland, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about you? Sure. So... Um, I'll be 56 soon. I have three amazing children that are all adults. Um, I've been married and with my husband off and on for over 40 years since junior high school. We've been best friends since then. I went to college and studied psychology, which I really loved. And then I continued more education and I, uh, practice radiology for a while, more in the trauma, critical care, intensive care, operating room, and emergency room. And my specialty, of course, was trauma as well as orthopedics. I really love that. I thought I had the best life then because, of course, you know, the income was good. I was just happy all around, you know. And until I had my car accident, everything changed. However, after I do talk about what happened, it kind of really happened to push my purpose more forward. All right. We'll get into all the detail of that here in just a minute. So three grown kids, any grandkids yet? No grandchildren. My 31-year-old just got married a little less than a year ago. So hopefully soon. Well, I will tell you they are the best. I can't wait. They are absolutely the best. So I I wish you many grandchildren one of these days at the at the right time and all that kind of stuff. So Daniela, um, oh, one thing you left out. You're okay. You're allowed to brag about yourself a little bit. You're working on a PhD right now. I, I am actually. I, I am. I'm done. It's just uh, the last piece is the grading of the dissertation. Um, because it is a 10,000 word one, it's pretty long and, and really interesting. Uh, they, you know, it takes a little while for them to grade it. So yeah, I have about another month and a half to two months and I'll have my doctorate as well. And this stemmed from this experience that made me go in this direction. Congratulations. I'm going to just start calling you doctor if that's okay. You can, I'd rather wait though. I'm, I'm very humble, Eric. I'm a very humble soul. Dr. Dr. Danny, how's that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's going to be a big difference. All right. Let's go back in time quite a few years leading up to your near-death experience. 
bad car accident, but give us a little background. What was happening that day? What led you to that specific moment in time? So it's it's very interesting that you you are the only one that actually asked pre, um, which which is kind of interesting because that day uh, in the evening we were invited for a holiday dinner. It was it during the winter. It was in December of 1997, and the strangest thing that I couldn't figure out, of course, until after the fact was. You know, in the winter, us women don't care. We don't have to shave our legs every day and look pretty and all that. And that night, that evening, uh, late afternoon, when I got in the shower, I was like shaving my leg. Like I was getting ready for something and it didn't make sense, but I was compelled. We were, after, you know, getting ready and everything, um, my oldest son, who was five year old, years old at the time, and two of my nephews who always wanted to be with their aunt Daniela, we got into my car and my husband actually got into his truck and was driving behind us because he did have to take a ladder over to where we were going um, for to get on the roof or something like that. So he was actually right behind us when the accident happened. When we had left the house, we were driving down one of the main roads uh, by us and an old man ran a stop sign and hit the right front end of the car uh, where my son was sitting. However, from the impact, I got all the impact where I was crushed and not my son. And I, I'm so grateful for that because I literally would have been living a, 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 a nightmare every day had my son gotten the injuries, God forbid, you know, that I did. Yeah, that would have been horrible. So was he okay? He was. When my husband saw the crash, of course, he jumped out of his truck. And he didn't realize that I wasn't breathing only because when he looked in the car, and my husband's a retired police officer now. So he's trained to look for the most serious injuries. And he absolutely did the right thing, as I think any mother would sacrifice their life in a heartbeat without even thinking twice for their kids. But my son did have a little bit of blood underneath his uh, nose. So my husband went right over to him. Now, I couldn't breathe. So I started um, beeping the horn like very aggressively just because I needed help. I, I just couldn't breathe anymore. But he, you know, he was with my son. And in the accident, the way the car was hit, I got completely crushed and my left leg was caught under the dashboard. And I think my head broke the mirror as well, like the rear view mirror definitely did. I sustained an enormous amount of injuries, but leading up to where I had passed away, once I was hit, immediately I knew that I just, I couldn't expand my lungs. I couldn't breathe. I could not get an, an, an ounce of uh, oxygen into, into myself. And next thing I knew, my entire life literally flashed in front of me. Right after all that, every worry that I could possibly have ran in front of me. And, it, and, and of course, it was all about my son. Like I so said, I knew I was going to die. That, I, I couldn't breathe and I knew I was going to die. That was a given already at that point. Can I just interrupt and ask one quick thing? Some people have what they call a life review. Is Would you say that that's what your life flashing before your eyes was, or was it kind of different than that? Yeah, 
No, it was definitely a life review. Everything, everything flashed in front of my eyes and it happened so quick, so quick, but everything was there. And then it went to, you know, every worry. And of course, with my son being in the car and my nephew, I knew that my nephews were okay because I did check. However, I remember every worry I had, like, is my son going to be okay? How's he going to grow up? What's what's going to happen? You know, all, every kind of worry about your child, about my child ran through my head. And then that was it. I ended up somewhere else. Okay. So you didn't have the experience of going down the tunnel that some people do. Certainly not everybody does. Seeing the light, all that kind of stuff. I think mine was so immediate, Eric. It, it you know it happened so fast, and it was a it was a really hard impact. It was pretty bad. My understanding was nine one one had never received so many calls. Wow! As they did for this accident, it was pretty bad. Well, and that doesn't make your experience any less real. The fact that you arrived there quickly. Can you tell us where there was? Well, it was definitely somewhere I had never been before or never seen, much less ever experienced what I did. I remember right when I got there, my my physical dead body was in front of me. I wasn't floating or hovering or anything like that. I actually... To the contrary, I felt very grounded, Eric, extremely grounded. I remember my head was positioned to the left and my feet were to the right. And it was, I I can't, you know, I didn't hear any voices or anyone talking to me. It was more like a very distinct knowing. You just knew. Uh, You could call it some form of mental telepathy, like a telepathy type of understanding But I realized, Eric, that what I was supposed to do was take a really good look at my physical dead body and say goodbye to it, which is what I was basically doing. That's interesting. So was there more? You said you just knew. Was there more than that that you knew at that point? So I I remember um, right away after saying goodbye to my body, I had... I was saying to myself, my soul, because my soul was still alive outside of the physical body. I was totally away from it. And I remember saying, oh, my, this is this is home. I mean, we all have houses. We all have, you know, different places that we live in here on Earth. But that was truly home. There was no doubt or question in my mind about it. It was the most extremely peaceful place. We have nothing to compare it to here. I get that question actually a lot because people will ask me, Daniela, how how can you describe the peacefulness that you experience? And I will literally ask them, what makes you peaceful? You know, some people will say lighting candles, listening to certain music, um, taking a warm bath. Everybody has different things that are makes them feel peaceful. And of course, my my immediate response is try to multiply that by infinity. So you see, it's impossible because we just don't have anything anywhere like it here. Yeah. Are there any more words than peaceful that you could add to it to help us understand that feeling? 
Absolutely. So let me explain what I saw, because I think that will kind of also help. Please do. That'd be great. Yeah. And what I experienced, I will tell you when I first got there, um, the, the colors there were a huge contrast of black, grays, and white. I was not presented colors yet in the beginning. Um, everything was very distinctive, gray, black, white. And I was able to see infinity in front of me because one thing I did do was look around everywhere and observe a lot that was, you know, there. And what I can tell you clearly is there are no walls. There is no flooring or grounds. There is no time. There is no schedule. There is no weather. There's a lot of things that are not there that we have here. However, it is the most peaceful, tranquil, serene place you could ever be in. Beautiful. What did infinity look like? Endless. It was so endless. Was it like solar systems and planets and space or people or? At that time, again, it was still the gray, black and white. So if you're looking straight ahead, for example, um, I guess you could try to imagine driving down a dark road with no headlights, with no light street lights. But yet there's that glare of the moon that gives you some contrast and you're looking down an endless road. And that was not exactly like that, but you could see infinity. I got to see infinity. It, it never ended at all. At what point did the black, gray and white turn into color? And what was that like? That happened right, pretty much right before I got pulled back. But there's some other things that I want to share with you that I I know my experience was very different and not many people had this experience with their N NDE. Um, I remember at one point I was privileged to look down on Earth. And it was very interesting because I literally got to see every city, every state, every country, and all the souls that are populating each demographic area. And the importance of that, I think that, that I was presented with was how every single soul has a purpose here, good, bad, or indifferent. Every single one had a purpose here. And I do recall distinctively looking down and it was an Asian man that really I, I focused on from up there. And it was because of the way he was lit up and the way he was just moving around in the vibration that now looking back, I, I, I do believe this was a person that probably had a very significant NDE. He was very different than a lot of the other souls that I got to see. There's something very different about him. But a lot of people will say, well, you know, how, how do you know that each person has a purpose and, and it's from there? And I try to explain the analogy of like, you know, like if you go to, to, to ride bumper cars, uh, like at a park or amusement park, and each, each bumper car has almost like this antenna thing that goes up to the ceiling and the electricity generates off of there. It was pretty much like that. Everybody had this form of antenna, a connection to have their purpose uh, worked out 
here on earth play out, worked out, however, you know, you want to word it. And and that was very different. Um, that was very different. And then again, um, once the colors were presented, meaning after I had looked around, after I had very curiously, you know, wanting to see everything, that was when the colors started to present themselves. And the colors there are, Listen, we have beautiful colors here on earth and, and artists do amazing, amazing work with, with the colors that we have, but it's very different there. The colors there are so vivid, so bright. We just don't have it here, but they are absolutely gorgeous. Would you say there are other colors there in addition to what we have here, or are they just brighter? Uh, what I saw was they were just a lot brighter. We, we don't have them here that way, but they're just so in-depth and so beautiful that we really just don't have them here. Yeah, I've had some people explain it to me as it's almost like they're just sort of muted or watered down here compared to there. Does that sound right to you? Exactly. That's what I mean by very vivid and bright and just... They're just gorgeous. It's everything is just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Okay. What else did you see or do? So I, I, I did want to make mention the one thing that I did feel when I first got there also was, and I have to say it was a male dominant sense that I could feel all around me while I was there. And and the beauty of that experience was that was loaded with unconditional love, protection. You, you just knew nothing was wrong. Everything could, couldn't have been more perfect, but it was more of like a male dominance. I didn't see the bright light. I didn't see a tunnel. I didn't see God. I didn't even see relatives, past relatives or anything, but that was very significant that I clearly still remember like it was yesterday. Right. But you didn't see this male presence, but it was a very strong feeling of it all around you. All around. Absolutely. All around. All right. Anything else? As far as while I was there? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else before you came back? Let's let's hear it now. Of course. So I do remember um, at the point when when I had to look at my physical body and leave it, um, as if I was going somewhere else, I do remember that my soul, I started turning at about a 35 to 40 degree towards the left side, heading somewhere else. Where I was heading, I don't know, because that happened to be the time that I got pulled back. I know that they did work on me for over six hours uh, to try to stabilize me. I know that they also pulled my husband out and he was running between the emergency room and the trauma unit because we did, you know, my son was taken just to make sure everything was okay. And he's perfectly fine. Um, I know that they did pull my husband out and told him that, you know, we're not sure if we're going to be able to save her, but we are trying to do everything we can. At that point, when I was turning the 35 to 40 to the left, that's when I got yanked back. What do you mean by yanked back? That sounds interesting. You've used the word pull and yanked. It's almost like it was against your will. You got you got pulled back. Well, you don't really want to leave there. I hate to say that. I mean, I'm grateful that I 
that I did because I had a five-year-old at that time and I need to be here. And, and my purpose was a lot bigger, you know, uh, after that experience than what it was ever before. But you literally get yanked back. You get pulled back into your physical body again. Was there anything that you remember about that process or were you just all of a sudden back in the body and then did you wake up physically? I remember waking up actually. Everything is a blur. I mean, I sustained a lot of injuries. I was bleeding internally quite a bit. You know, I've had a lot of physical damage from it. I've lost a lot of parts of my body, you know, uh, from, from the accident, from the physical impact, but, um, you don't want to leave there. You don't want to leave there. Um, but I remember, uh, talking to the paramedic in the ambulance. I, re- I remember finally being able to, to say something and I kept telling him I can't breathe. I did have one of my rib, one of my ribs completely popped out of where it was supposed to be. It was very hard to breathe. Um, and I kept saying, you know, I, I, I can't breathe trying to get that out. But he was amazing. He kept reassuring me, you're breathing. If you can talk, stay with me, keep trying to talk, you know, keep this. And the next thing I remember, I was in the trauma unit with a bunch of um, doctors and nurses all around me working on me. It just it seemed to never end. And then after that, of course, I had, you know, I'd stayed in the hospital for a while. Even after that, it I went through, uh, I stopped counting at about 30 to 35 surgeries, but realistically, between surgeries and invasive things that I've had to have done, I'm probably easily in the 50 some uh, for that. I also had to use a wheelchair for a while, a cane for a while. I was in physical therapy and aqua therapy for way over 10 years uh, to get my life back. You know, I had to learn how to breathe right because I was breathing so shallow. It was so painful. Um, using my arms properly again, my legs. It was very hard. It was a very hard recovery, a lot of surgeries, a lot of emergencies. It, it was it was really a rough road. That's rough. The fact that you had this experience, do you think that helped you, at least from a perspective of having a better attitude about things, did the experience maybe help you through the recovery? It definitely did. I, I was always a very positive, you know, person and I think, and a strong person. And I think that that just really enhanced a lot more because, you know, you have to remember that these the surgeries weren't right after the accident. It was problems that kept happening. So this went on for a while and, and you know, I, I had four miscarriages from complications, which was very, sorry. It's okay. Take your time. Which was really hard. Um, All three of my kids were born very, very premature. So it was a battle because, you know, they were on a respirator with oxygen. And for for months, it was very hard. And in between, I got bleeding internally from different parts. I lost, you know, I lost all my fallopian tubes, my ovaries, my uterus. I lost a lot of parts of my body from it because I kept bleeding internally. So it was a really rough road. But at the end of the day, I have three beautiful children and they're all thriving, doing well, amazing careers. They did great. 
you know, all the problems that they were supposed to have, they didn't have any to the point where the pediatrician, their pediatrician literally was begging me to write a book to help parents, you know, that have premature babies. But I knew I had three sets of eyes watching me. And I had to always remind myself that I have to set the best example not to ever give up. You know, I fell into like really deep depressions at times from it just because in the beginning, I couldn't even process what happened to me. This took me over 10 to 15 years to process what happened. And I had to get help from spiritual leaders who helped me a lot because all of a sudden things were very different in my life. Things that I was seeing, things that I was experiencing were very different, unknown to me ever before in my 20 some years. The accident happened when I was in my later 20s and nothing like that had ever happened before. And and the, the, the beauty of it was uh, they really helped me understand why I can see spirits and, and why they come to me. And it was because it was explained to me that when I had got pulled back, I never shut the door from where I was. So it's an open channel. And it's a blessing because I do help people through mediumship greatly. I also have gifts with my hands with healing. I get a lot of clients. I've helped so many people literally all over the world um, that have gone to doctors anywhere from 10 to 30, 40 years. And they've exhausted every means that they could do for these poor souls suffering. And they end up getting referred to me. And my statistics across the board is within three months, they're doing much better than prior to their, whether it was an injury, an accident or trauma, you know, whatever the situation is across the board within three months, uh, my hands have been able to heal them. And I also do medical intuition where I can scan the body with my hands and see what's going on inside. So I've been able to find things that even our MRIs and stuff haven't found or or I can find where the source of the problem is. So I've been really gifted on that end with coming back. A lot of people, when they come back, they have a hard time processing like what you were just talking about. And some tried to talk about it and they got shut down saying, you know, don't talk about that. You sound crazy or something. So just don't even talk about it. Uh, what advice do you have for people that are going through that? What kind of help should they get? You mentioned spiritual help. Are, are there counselors, therapists that they should talk to, too? Or what? what's your advice? I mean, I do a lot of spiritual counseling as well. That is part of what I do. That's actually in, in the metaphysics, the doctor that I'm doing. My, my specialty is counseling, um, which I felt was very important. And, and the greatest advice I can give is this. I couldn't talk about it. I, I couldn't even put it together to talk about it. It took a long time. And I know that that now, you know, after like meeting a lot of people that have gone through this, that's pretty common across the board that it takes a long time. Very rarely you'll have somebody talking about it a year or two years after uh, the situation. It's usually way above 10 years. And I, and I know mine has been, but if I can give the best advice here is take your time to process what happened because 
it happened to you for a reason. You were selected for that to happen, regardless of how it happened. Take your time on processing it. But the second that you feel that you're ready to talk about it, come out and talk about it. Don't worry about anyone's opinions, remarks, comments, because they are truly worthless. Meaning that whatever comment they make is really meaningless because one, most likely they didn't have this kind of experience. If they did, they surely will not make a comment about it. They would be more loving and understanding because it is very hard to go through, you know, and to process. So keep going and do what is best for you. And don't be scared to talk about it. Would you recommend that it would be beneficial for people to talk about it sooner than later? So that's a two-part question when, when you ask that, because one, yes, talk about it as soon as you can. But again, you have to realize, don't come out and talk about it if you haven't even processed it, because that's what truly takes the time is to process all that. So the second you're ready. I mean, I joke around, I say, wow, it feels so good to come out of my spiritual closet and be able to talk about it. You know, people are scared because um, maybe somebody will judge them. Maybe someone will, will you know, like you said, tell them, oh, you're crazy. But the truth of the matter is you're not, you're not come out of that spiritual closet. You will feel so much lighter because that is truly very heavy to carry around and feel lost with. I went through that. So I would advise against it heavily because once I did start talking about it, one, I realized there was such an outpour of love and support towards this, which is the best thing anyone could do when you hear somebody go through this experience and you have to remember you're the one that experienced it other people have not other souls have not experienced it you know when people don't understand things they like they like to use the word crazy they don't know what else to say i guess if it didn't happen to them then it there must be something wrong with it well a lot of times when people call things crazy it's because and I hate to say it this way, it's because they've reached their limit. That's it. That's all they're telling you. Yeah. They can't comprehend beyond that. But would you also find that it's a good idea to for some of these people to go to some IONS group so they can just casually talk with other people that have had similar experiences? Absolutely. And and what I love about them is they do uh they do a couple of Zoom meetings, you know, through the month. Very interesting topics. You can pick and choose what you want to listen to, you know, enter the Zoom as you please. If if a topic actually uh interests you, they hold annual meetings. They, they do a lot of nice things. I happen to know quite a few of the people that run them and they're just incredible souls. Some of them themselves have had NDE experiences. So you, you actually literally find the community that you fit in, that everyone understands, everyone is looking for answers, is, is interested or has experienced 
you know, something in regards to an NDE. So you're in a huge community of people that are are very like-minded with experience. And, and that's actually, it's an amazing support system. Yeah, I wanted to interject just one other thing on this topic, and that is that not everybody remembers their experience immediately, especially if there's, uh, you know, brain trauma or, uh, you know, who knows what kinds of other physical traumas have happened. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that it's less real just because it took them three days or three weeks or three years or whatever for these memories to flood back. It doesn't matter because whatever it, whatever impact it has is your experience. There is no right or wrong. With my experience, I'll elaborate a little bit here, Eric, especially to the point where I got freaked out for the first time, literally scared for the first time. And it was actually when my 24-year-old son uh, came home from the NICU. He was in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, because I had to have him uh, by live C-section at five months. I couldn't carry him for nine months. And um, it's so hard when I talk about my kids. They went through a lot, but they're amazing. But when he came home, you know, I breastfed all my kids. And I literally kept um, about their bassinets right next to my bed because it's so dangerous to sleep with a baby in your bed. And I remember... The first day that my son came home, I had just finished breastfeeding him and I put him in his, in the bassinet. He had fallen asleep and I had laid down. This was late at night. All of a sudden, the way my room was, my, my bed was positioned in my room. My bed was literally facing the door of the bedroom. And I remember I laid down and all of a sudden I saw a silhouette of a man in a black suit with one of those big top hats. He would not show me his face at all, Eric, for the life of me. But I knew all he wanted to do was come next to my son's side and look at him, but I didn't know who he was. I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew I'm looking at something that is not a human being, a soul. I remember saying, you know, you need to leave get away. Like I could feel how aggressively he just wanted to look at the baby. And I asked for him to leave and all, and I didn't know who he was. And he literally was saying to me, not by words, but if he was literally telling me that if you look at my feet, you'll know who, who I am, exactly who I am. Well, I did look Eric and I didn't know who it was. So I, again, I asked to leave and he was respectful and ended up leaving. Well, mind you, I was freaked out that whole night that the next morning I called my mom and I asked her, is there anyone in the family? I mean, the shoes that he was showing me were so weird, Eric. They were literally shoes without the front part of the shoe on both feet. So I was asking my mom, is there anyone in the family that I don't know about that might have something like this? My mom didn't know any anyone. I called my dad. I spoke to, you know, family and stuff. Nobody knew. Well, that afternoon when my husband came home, he could see I was crying and I was very distraught. And he had asked me what was going on. And I told him, I said to him, please come sit down. I want to, you know, tell you what happened here because it literally scared me half to death. So he did sit down with me and I explained to him what I saw and everything. 
And then I told him, I said, but honey, he, he wanted me to look at his feet. He said, just by his feet, I would know who it was. And I, I can't figure it out. I spoke to family and everything. I can't figure it out. He goes, well, what did his feet look like? And I told him, I said, it was a pair of shoes with no front end on both of them. And he looked at me and he goes, do you know who that is? And I said, no, I wouldn't be like this if I did. I don't know who it is. He said, that's my grandfather, David. And I said, well, how do you know for sure? And he said, because he had gangrene on all his toes from some infection, they had to remove his toes and make custom shoes for him. Now, that was his grandfather, David. My husband lost his mother when he was six years old. So I never really met any of his family or, or knew anything about anyone. But the interesting part here is my son's name is David. So his grandfather, great-grandfather, David, wanted to come see David. But at the time, I didn't know. Yeah, so you told him to leave. And he was there for a good reason, not a scary reason. Exactly. But the beauty of it was he came back quite a few other times. And he actually really helped uh, helped me with quite a bit of things. And that was when, at that point, Eric, was when I went to the spiritual leader the leaders and and said, listen, I need help. I, I I don't understand what's going on here. And that's when they explained to me, because you never shut the door when you came back, they can come in and out as freely. But if you're scared, you can always shut that door. Well, I didn't feel scared anymore. It was actually a blessing because it's helped with a lot of things too. Yeah. Well, we're nearly out of time. Uh, if you don't mind, I want to jump backwards just a little bit. We talked about a life review for a second. Do you remember any of the things that happened in that life review? I do. I'm a very family-oriented person, even like my best of best of friends. I've had them since I was like 12 years old, if not even before until today. So I'm a very loyal, committed, you know, family good friend, you know, type of person. I've always been that way. And it's interesting you asked that question because in my life review, not only did it go through everything that I did, but it also presented everybody that was really important to me. Did you see any, I mean, was this all good stuff? Were there things you felt guilty about? You know, tell me what was the point of it, I guess. My my experience was actually really good. My life review was really good. I didn't have anything like negative or felt remorse for anything, but I'm more of a, I, I, I'll give more than I can ever take. Um, so I think it lined up with, with my value system and things like that. I didn't have a negative life review. It was just interesting how it literally felt like it, it was in a couple seconds, but it was so much. And most of them are very positive. Or, or if there was something negative that they see from their life, it's not presented in a horribly guilty way. It's just a, hey, look, and let's learn from this. I'm glad yours was all positive. And, you know, Eric, I will, I will say this to you also. As quickly as that happened... Um, even when I landed in heaven, because I like to call it heaven, it was very beautiful and peaceful that way you would think heaven should be. Um, and it was. I will tell you that even during the time that I was there, I, I had received such a download of so much information 
that even that seemed to happen so quick. But when people asked me about it, I would literally probably have to write, you know, two books or something to put all that down. All right. Leave us with a good message here. What did you learn that you can pass on to everybody? Very firmly, very firmly, always love as much as you can. Always give as much love as you can. Don't ever judge anyone. That's not what you're here for. I love brief and precise. That's great. Yeah. I mean, to love, to care, and to never judge. And most importantly, be understanding. Even if it's hard for you to understand, be understanding. All right. Daniela Gordon, thanks a lot for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Thanks again for listening and remember to share this podcast. To be notified when the next episode goes live, follow us on your podcasting app or click over to roundtripdeath.com and sign up for our email newsletter. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music